0: Hi, Roxana. Thank you so much for taking the time today to chat.
1: Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for inviting
0: (laughs) me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate?
1: So I was born here in the States, in California, to be more precise. But I actually moved to Costa Rica, where my uh, dad was from, uh, when I was just two. So my foods were just the foods of any typical Latin American kid starting with, you know, tons of tortillas made with nixtamalized corn, of course, tamales, uh, tropical fruits, like the ones we probably eat every day. Um, (laughs) And uh, we actually start drinking coffee at an early age also. Um, And then, of course, normal kids stuff, like, of course, a spaghetti with tomato sauce Mm -hmm. and, and uh, rotisserie chicken and all the things that kids like. But, um, for sure, there was like a lot more vegetables than you would imagine because there's just that access to produce everywhere year right. round.
0: Right, right. And you know, what was it about bread and pastry that drew you into working with them? You know, I thought
1: I was gonna actually uh, when I decided to take a break from schooling uh, after I got my bachelor's degree, and before I commit, I was supposed to go to grad school. I was like, okay, let's do something manual. I need to use my hands and not study all day. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to cooking school and I thought I was just going to cook like any normal cook. At the time, I was a vegetarian. And right. um, I, I had a real hard time in cooking school working with the uh- animal products, Like really, really yeah. tough, you know? Like I'm like, wow, this is so much blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember having my first bite of steak that I had in a long, long time, like years probably in cooking school. And, um, so bread and pastry seems so natural, right? Like these are mm-hmm. ingredients that I, am not defensive about ingredients that I use all the time. Um, even though there's a lot of dairy, but I was a vegetarian. So yeah. So it, and also like my family, starting with my great grandmother uh, and my mom, even, um, there's a lot of baking. So it didn't sound foreign. Um, there were a lot of terms in Spanish and in French, which I was familiar with. So it seemed very approachable. Plus, right. by the time I graduated cooking school, having gone through the entire program, including all the savory food and all kinds of butchery and charcuterie, <laughs> um, I was getting all these jobs in small restaurants and I kept being sent to the pastry station to play desserts mm-hmm. or make garnishes, etc. cetera. So, um, you know, I was like, okay, I guess this is it. And if once you know you like it and you're... you're kind of ha- good at it, I found a really good job, which was working under Nancy Silverton. I was like, okay, let's go go to work at a great place
0: that does this yeah. really, really well. <laughs> well, what what made you vegetarian and what made you stop being vegetarian?
1: You know, I was always um, not very, as a, as a child, I was not super into meat. I yeah. thought it was really chewy and really hard and you needed a knife um, and the flavors were really, really strong. Also, um, I'm sure you're familiar outside of the United States, uh, beef tends to be grass fed rather than grain fed and it's not mm-hmm. always confined. So the texture and the flavor of the meat is very different. Um, it's very forward, very meaty, very beefy, um, almost barnyardy, you know? So, so I felt like that was a really hard for me as a child. I also right. got, you know, I don't know what my parents were thinking. There were instances when we were like very young, and in September we'd go pick the uh, go pick the pig that we would sacrifice for Christmas. So we'd go to a farm outside of the of San Jose, the capital, and go visit the pig farmer and say, "Okay, this is ours." I mean, that's so cruel. I, come, <laughs> come, come Christmas, you don't want to you don't want to touch that that ham. Um yeah. So, you know, I definitely felt like I I couldn't separate the face of that animal with with the meat on my plate. Um and yeah, when I yeah. when my when I was allowed to um say what I wanted to eat, you know, in a family of five kids, you there's no menu to choose from. You eat what what's in front of you. Once I had more freedom to say I would rather eat this, um I I was a vegetarian. Wow, and and are you still vegetarian or no? I am very vegetarian heavy. Yes, yeah. and in my house, I mean, we seldom purchase meat or fish. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we have a can that has been in the pantry for years. <laughs> so even though my 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 husband is a chef and we work in a restaurant that serves um on board mm-hmm. diet, um and we are we go to restaurants that we might enjoy, you know the gamut of foods available to us. We eat very vegetarian, if not vegan-ish in my house.
0: Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And uh, I wanted to ask also how you developed your specific style of baking. You know, you mentioned working under Nancy Silverton, like Mm -hmm. you, you went to like one of like these, this really, you know, grand dame of of baking and, you know, how did you um, emerge from that and, and develop your, yourself?
1: You know, I think that the one thing that I felt very uh, attracted to working in California, but also having come from a seasonal place, you know, a country right. that has uses what's available in front of you. Uh, there's not a huge uh, amount of imports, you know. Um, so I just thought that I was, I always found it very compelling and appealing to just um, go, go with that flow. You know, right. follow that seasonal rhythm, um, and that's what Campanilla did so great, and why it was so important to me to work at a place like that. I also am um, very tomboyish in my baking, so I don't—I'm not into um, a very intricate or meticulous um, technique. I want—I want—I want things to feel handmade and small batchy. And, and that uh, the ingredients are identifiable, that they didn't come in a jar or that they were in vacuum sealed, you know, like, I just want to mm-hmm. feel um, um, that the, the process is more organic, you know, it, right. Just, right. it just unfolds onto itself and you coax the ingredients just to do their thing, you know,
0: rather right, than right, right.
1: impose on that your vision right. of the world
0: yeah <laughs> well you just had a book come out called mother grains mm-hmm. um what was the process like because i'm struggling to write a book right now <laughs> of of <laughs> of being time. in a bake yeah of being in a bakery and writing a book you know like what what was your process uh, for writing it and how did you find that time it's really Funny, interesting, and traumatic. You know, it's uh,
1: definitely, and I'm sure you you feel all of those things because um, um, when we when by the time my agent and I sat down and said, "Okay, this is the book proposal," I had a table of contents with a, a vast number of recipes. Now, these recipes are probably were in a, in a large format, you know, like this is for a bakery that makes more than a couple dozen at a time. So um, the first and the most challenging thing went to just like to downscale all of those things. And then you think that you're explaining things very well until people say, like, what is add water to wet sand? I'm like, well, right. I guess that <laughs> doesn't sound like that clear <laughs> uh, after all. So um, I would say that it took me a while to figure it out. And if I, I were to uh, write another cookbook, I would do this process, which is like uh, we work, I, I work every day. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the schedule. I work a station. i manage one of the ovens. Or, or today, for example, I'm doing all the lamination for tomorrow. So I, and I don't want to stop doing that, right? So I want to come in, do my work at three in the morning, whenever it is. And then uh, spend like one to two hours testing recipes or looking at them, getting familiarized with them. Uh, if, if it's downscaling, do that. And that, which is what I did last year, only I was disorganized about it. And then <laughs> you take one day to write. And that's the day that you're like in your house with your cat, pot of coffee, you know, and, and just go for it. Um Impossible, impossible. And I've seen I work with people that have done this, and I have no idea how they do it. But impossible to just go, okay, I have an hour, let's go write. Uh, uh-uh, uh, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> that's not that's not how it works. Um, but I remember when Suzanne Goines was writing the Luke Cookbook, that's how she did it. Like she would be like in between orders, go, 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 punch in a recipe. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly challenging and uh, your entire staff is involved in the process i was lucky enough to have uh you know uh, uh, journalists and and english majors among my staff (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so include i i even have a had a biologist so i had a lot of resources um and then eventually you know you're gonna have to like yeah i'm sure i don't know if this is for you also but i did have to like look for help, like look to those professional recipe testers and and copy editors and and, and have them help you out because it takes a village.
0: Right, right. And so in the book, you write about how you came up in, uh, these very formative farm to table restaurants on the West coast, like Campanile, but that, you know, it was local farmers getting into grains. There were new mills out there in Los Angeles that you visited the Washington state university bread lab. Like that was what really got you interested in grain as a seasonal ingredient. You know, why do you think grain hadn't been more deeply considered by chefs, even the ones who were actively interested in sustainable and local sourcing? that is a, such an important question and and
1: really like the gist of why mother grains came to be because um at some point somewhere in our recent history where we were pushing forward towards food security and industrializing processes to ensure that we could all uh eat um at some point we lost connection with the fact that right. this a flower comes from a plant you know it actually grows in the ground literally in the ground and there's uh several steps that uh, can be mechanized and sort of divorce us from that connection uh to the land where the actual seed comes from and Mm -hmm. um it it actually even for like a person like myself you know like i'm a baker i i know stuff (laughs) like i I know this, actually, we all know chocolate uh, grows in a tree, but, you know, we, we see it in a bar pretty much always. So so to actually really slow down and say, wait a minute, this is important, you know, this, this was alive. Why is it, it isn't anymore? Why isn't it anymore? Um, full of all these things, just like the fruit that I purchased at the farmer's market. So Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, um, farm-to-table people, which is a lot of us, right? And we we kind of like have a chip on our shoulder about how we work with our farmers, and we have a uh, personal personal relationships with them, and how we are really pushing for sustainability in an industry that is not known for it. And yet, we had no we're we're making no effort to connect this important, humongous uh, food group under that umbrella why are we not Mm -hmm. looking at it with that lens um Mm -hmm. and I think I think it was just part of a conversation that happened among many of us you know uh and and but it really is kind of like you have to see it with your own eyes to believe it and really really feel the that sort of like fire in your belly that oh god what have we done (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that stuff? yeah, um, yeah. Uh, how, how did we forget this why why did we neglect all this the biodiversity where, where did yeah. go yeah yeah
0: yeah no I mean talking about biodiversity is so important and I feel that it, it, this is why your book is important and this conversation is important because um you know it it we seem to be getting back to biodiversity like ingredient by ingredient rather than like, you know, it's not, it hasn't been kind of a wholesale revolution Mm -hmm. of our food Mm -hmm. system. It's been like a few people realizing, Hey, we actually could, you know, have a lot of different types of grain and work with them and, and that sort of thing. And I was talking to a bread baker friend because I'm writing about sugar right now. And, um and we were talking about like how grain has had this moment of course, it hasn't had this moment necessarily right. for, for everybody or everywhere, but it's had this moment and like sugar hasn't had this moment. And so here in Puerto Rico, which used to be sugar cane very central, significant, exactly, right? like you could you see the abandoned sugar mills everywhere. Um, and now I was talking to a farmer at the market and she had some sugar cane, and she's like, oh, yeah, we have two varieties. But for us, it's like a weed, <laughs> like yeah, um, totally. like. Yeah, like now, yeah. no one. It's only one person is cultivating it to make rum here now, like recultivating mm-hmm. it. But for mo- the most part, it's either made for pitoro, which is like um a kind of a crude rum that people make in right. the mountains, and then there's there's just farmers with sugar who just are like, oh, sometimes we cut it up and eat it, but you know, yeah. it's not for sale. But we were talking about like when is the moment going to come for sugar, <laughs> and so right. and sugar I, you is you know,
1: fascinating.
0: It's yes, amazing. Yes. I'm
1: sure that you're like looking at Okinawa brown sugar and turbinados and muscovados. And uh, yeah, and, and, and it is so incredibly flavorful. Um, right. And it's hard for us to say, like, it's flavorful. It's not just sweetness,
0: right? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. No, I right. can't wait for Yeah. More sugar. But I want, you know, in your baking, how do you bring your commitment to artisan grains to, you know, the rest of what you cook? Obviously, you know, you come from farm to table restaurants. So, but you know, how does the commitment to grains influence the rest of the restaurant?
1: You know, I I think that one thing that, uh, uh, you know, to to be a seasonal baker with fruits could not be easier. You go to a yeah. farmer's market. You visit <laughs> a farm. It's very obvious when the fruit is organic, or even when it's not certified. You know when a farmer is following um, sustainable practices. It's obvious in the fruit. It's obvious in their orchards. So great! Easy to understand. I complete. I, I know how to work with this fruit. I know it needs very little sugar. I uh, you know I I I I. Um, I can do it in my sleep i uh, not to be arrogant, mm-hmm. but it's been twenty years of this, so
0: yeah <laughs> so it comes
1: it comes easily, but the thing about grain is that you really have to do your homework because we don't we really don't know you know is, can we tell from a bag of flour that it is good or not, right right no, we can smell it I, I mean it takes a little bit of getting accustomed to the feeling the the feel of it and the smell of it to, to really like just know at first sight. Um, And also you will find yourself um, picking your battles because it's Mm -hmm. a huge battlefield, right? So how are we going to win this war? Right. And, uh, and for sure, there's a lot of confusion too, right? Because um, there's, there's the sustainable aspect, but then there's also the health aspect. So the health, health folks, health advocates are pushing for quinoa, right? But we're like, hold on a minute, quinoa comes from <laughs> way far over there. And uh, can we guarantee that those farmers are getting a fair share uh, of, uh, on their crops, right? I mm-hmm. don't know. And why are we adding all this eco footprint to this this grain, right? Um, and it's also like not ours, you know, in a sense. It's like we appropriated and became, and became like the food of, of white chicks from Santa Monica here in LA, you know? So, so what are, what, what is it? How, so there's, it's so multifaceted that you really have mm-hmm. to just be like, okay, let's, let's slow down and pick up our battles. So my first goal, which was relatively easy to achieve and is the reason I like to say that it's easy because I want to see other people commit to it. Right. It's my first goal when we opened the bakery, which was only four years ago was every single thing we make has to have an, um, an amount of whole grain flour in it. We mm-hmm. even committed to a percentage, which was 20%. Mm-hmm. And that was um, sort of like um, imitating a, um, a policy that the California Weed Commission was trying to set uh, for uh, local fa- uh, farmers markets here in right. California. So once you have that uh, win in your mm-hmm. in your arsenal you get more ballsy and you want to do mm-hmm. more so now you see um a lot of recipes that are increasing their their uh, their percentages of whole grain flour and now we're getting so good at it right now we understand like okay no you really have to like uh, add a little fat if you want that effect or you, you really have to like hydrate more if you want to produce these other things or build elasticity etc so so it really is um, sort of like a process. And I, I, I want to call it a journey or an adventure so that people are in, in, enticed <laughs> to jump in because it really is sort of like a, 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 a road that will take many, many different directions depending on how you choose, what you choose to down the mm-hmm. road. And I, it's interesting because the, because grain is so regional, Like, we all have different experiences. Not two Mm -hmm. bakers have the same journey. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's fun. That's so amazing. Like, (laughs) why are you just in Chicago, for example? Oh, turkey red. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, here in California, we're all about that sonora wheat because it's so drought resistant and so multi-purpose. So, Um, but I I really hope everybody finds their thing, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I mean, that's so important and something that really has to – I'm like really obsessed with people who write recipes and and still maintain their regionality and specificity. And, you know, I think there is still a point and you can still learn from a recipe, even if you don't necessarily have those ingredients, like it can still make you think about how you can approach this with what you have. And I think that we need more of that. We need more like very specific, hyper-local, hyper-seasonal recipes. Yeah. yeah. And flexibility and, 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 and regionality and like seeing regionality as a good thing because it promotes biodiversity and we desperately totally. need biodiversity. Um But at the same time, you know, local grains, you know, when you don't have that access, like when right. I lived in New York, I would go to the farmer's market and, right. and they would have like the New York grain. Beautiful. Uh, yeah.
1: Beautiful. And table. it's
0: so great. But that's, you know, lots of people are just going to the supermarket or just you, their, their local market hasn't caught up with that, you know? So what, what do you think would be great steps toward making artisan grains more available and accessible to, to right. all bakers? Thank you so
1: much for asking this question because this is totally true. At the end of the day, I don't want to sound elitist and be like, "Go to your specialty mill and buy this <laughs> one, a varietal of wheat uh, that is like rescued from the '70s by <laughs> this awesome woman." This is all true, by the way. This does happen, and these are conversations <laughs> that I do have with people. But we have to meet each other where we're at, right? And at the end of the day, is is it more important that you? big with the one bag of spell that you can find in your in your local grocery store or 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 is it more important for you to like go and spend um an outrageous amount in shipping flour from say Arizona or Pasadena California uh all the way to you so I think that we we just have to kind of like keep re- being realistic and know that the market does is a pushing force and The more we ask for these products, the more we are telling the market, this is what we want. We want to see more of this flour in the world and in our cooking. And and this is the stuff we want to put in our bodies, right? Right. Um, I was just very recently in Costa Rica visiting a baker friend um, who who I met recently, actually, through social media. Um, And And talking to him about the challenges of not, he does not work in a country that produces wheat. So he is actually having a completely different conversation. He is actually reaching out to the bread lab and saying, which wheat will thrive in the uh, Mm -hmm. the tropical region? What should we be doing to make this feasible? Um, And he finds himself like getting a bag of Coruscant all the way from Oregon to to Costa Rica, just just let me see what this is and what can we do. So um, the thing about grains is that they are grains, and um, right. I have another friend that wants me to use pejivalle flower which is a, um, a a fruit from a palm uh, that mm-hmm. grows in many Costa Rica in Central American countries. Probably grows around you, and they all have different names depending on the country, right? So, um, but then we are changing the composition, right? A grain is a grain and a root vegetable is a root vegetable and a fruit from a palm tree is a a, a fruit from a palm tree, which means that at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot to learn. And how do we build equivalences and become more adept as a changing flower that comes from grain to be, um, you know, how do we use those principles with flour that comes from a root vegetables like yucca, for example.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's the thing here in, in Puerto Rico. It's like we're not growing wheat. Um, and we probably should be, and and that also has to that moment has to come where we have someone here who's a, who is interested right. and and ask the folks like, what is the grain that? I mean, we have seven different microclimates here. Like, there's somewhere right. that grain could grow, and we could mill it and and everything. And, but there is someone here at least who is like getting wheat and milling it themselves. So, like, we're getting closer. I think to that that yeah, moment. And let's, um, let's not forget that. That
1: wheat is an enormous multi billion dollar business. So right. there are forces <laughs> at play here that are not interested in like smaller groups making, uh, 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 adapting their own micro yeah. seed <laughs> to their micro climate. Yeah. It's not important yeah. to them. It's not, there's no revenue to be had. Um, right. But, but this, this happened once before. Like we came from Europe only 500 years ago, only 500 mm-hmm. years ago. And uh, it adapted to the Americas and now we're the top producers in the world, you know, between Canada and the United States. So this, this can happen. This, this, this are, these are
0: now heritage varietals, you know, that we consider, you know, precious. Right. Right. No, and it's, it's just a mindset change, but it's also, you know, wheat is one of those things where there there are big agribusiness lobbies (laughs) behind the choices made there. And yes. And I think it's kind of taken for granted. Like people are like, "Well, yeah, corn. There's a big lobby. Soy. There's a big lobby. Meat, dairy, big lobbies. But like, wheat is also one of those things. And and yes. we use it so much in in everything we do. And and it's you know, it's we should definitely be thinking more about that. Um, and uh, let, you know, let, for, like for yeah. sure
1: you, when you mentioned corn, you know, it's like yeah. we are the children of the corn. Yes, mm-hmm. we are. You know, it's like yeah. let's not forget it. It is literally our lineage like my right my very ancestors who like tame corn and actually like made yeah. a flour out of it a mush a, ma- a mush out of it yeah that now, now we can dehydrate and and make it make use uh, almost as a flower but there's also cornmeal which is just like that right. same kernel just dried out so i mean like seriously like mother grains could have been mother corn corn is right. another <laughs> another mega grain like another yes. another juggernaut that is just yeah
0: Everything. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I need to order. There's folks growing corn here that I haven't tried yet, but I'm very excited about. Um, You know, and for you, is baking a political act? One (laughs) hundred percent. It's an everything act. It's also uh, um,
1: for sure. And I, I, I have to say that the last two years of social change, you know, uh, starting with um, even a little bit before the, the, the. George Floyd assassination and this sort mm-hmm. of like reclaiming who we are and what belongs to us and, and the right to ter- tell our own stories and and the right to cook our own recipes yeah. um, and not let tres leches be says leches and all those things <laughs> that we, we get in fights about. I always had, had this sense of like, um, advocacy like you really have to fight that good fight you know and sometimes I have not been really good at finding my my voice in the whole process and and let it anger be uh, the tone rather than you know persuasion which is what I, where I'm leaning a little bit more but yes it is a political act but it's also um an act of mindfulness you know it's yeah it's uh we talk so much about being in the moment and being present and and Let's meditate, but also what about that 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 sort of like moment in which you make these decisions with calm, pure calm and 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 are able to say, "This is the flower that I can see this is a flower that I can see that I can feel that I can smell um is gonna be different, so your whole senses are engaged and and you're gonna taste something that is like familiar but different your entire system is involved in that sole moment of producing mm-hmm. a, a, a baked good. I hope, right. I hope you're not that <laughs> checked out that you're like, oh, look at that cookie. You know, it really, it really, it really pulls you in. Um, right. And in right. doing so, you're, you're 100% present.
0: Right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.